Hello again, Chatterbox listener. This is Chatterbox Video Game Radio, and my name is Alon. And my name's Ara. And if you've ever wondered, what does Ara sound like an hour and a half after he wakes up? This is what Ara sounds yeah, like. Yeah, this is it. Well, I, uh, I am glad that you were able to join us. Thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> we're, we're doing the show a little bit early in preparation for, for Christmas time. Do you know what day Christmas actually falls on? You're asking you're asking me this question. Yeah, this is for the guy who doesn't put up any Christmas decorations. That's true. I'm not sure you're, but you even fall under the Christian umbrella. That's how much you don't I'm care. Technically Christian, yeah. <laughs> That's right. You have to ask me because you're of the Jew. Yeah, and you're not supposed to know anyway. What do you mean I'm not supposed to know? Well, I mean, it's not like you're, it's against the law. Wait a minute. Is there, is there a rule book for Christians that say they're not supposed to tell Jews that they're Christian? Look, you're not supposed to know about that book either. <laughs> you know about my Jew gold. Yes. Yeah. I know about your guild. <laughs> okay. So next week is is Christmas. Tuesday, the day that we – I mean, we, we usually record Monday or Tuesday. You know, Tuesday, we have technology. Look at this. I'm looking as we're talking. Yeah. Tuesday is Christmas Eve. You're so, you knew That's this. That's like a special day. Of course I knew. You have privilege and information. Yeah. So anyway, we're recording a little bit in advance. Um, I, I'm going to have to make some notes here for uh, – uh, anyway, no. The benefit mind. here, Continue. though, the benefit of us recording today is that we're both in the same place at the same time. Yeah. So we have a lot, a lot of different things to cover in this one hour. There are lawsuits. There are terms being thrown around ruthlessly across the Internet. Um, well, and, and we're going to somehow try and frame it like it's something new and interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what's interesting is, is actually on our list today, I don't think there's any Gran Turismo 6. Uh, well, it's not on the list because it's all in my head. Okay. So there's no Gran Turismo 6. We don't have to talk about GT6. Okay. You you realize as you bring this up, you're just goading me, whether you realize it or not, because there's no end of infuriation. It is a little bit. It's sort of the, um, you know, uh, addiction cessation where you have to introduce the thing that the person's supposed to avoid. Okay, look. In order to get them to get over it. Okay, look. Right, you, yeah, put smoke, you put cigarettes me. in front of a smoker and say, don't smoke them. See, now I want to say something about GT6 that's really pissing me off. <laughs> I'm helping you wean. Okay, I'm just going to say this addiction. one thing. It's really important. Can't resist. <laughs> it's really important. This game is so jacked. <laughs> it's not even... Okay, I don't even consider GT a game anymore in the strict sense. I consider it more of just a racing platform because here's the problem... That happens, and it's happened this time, and now that it's the sixth time that it's happening to me, I can really, really feel uh, um, familiar with it. No matter what they do, here's the... Okay, look, it's this is actually interesting. It's a fundamental racing problem. And here's the fundamental re- reality of the problem of racing, is that it is a competition that... Because of what it is intrinsically, it is never fair. You cannot ever, 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 ever have a fair race because a lot of what happens as far as whether you can pass or not is determined by the idiosyncrasies of where the other cars are. In other words, it happens all the time that you know you can't pass another car because another car is in your way, right? And if it weren't for that third car, you would have been able to pass the first car, right? But the third car is also, you know, I mean, they're all acting as independent agents. So it's very – so I hope you can see how easily it can be that it's, it's just all the time. I mean, you just, you just do the best you can hope for, right? But I was thinking about this specifically because in comparison to other games, uh, you don't have that dynamic a lot of times. Like chess is a strictly fair game. Well, sort of. Well, it is because... Someone has to go first. Right. But it's one of the things that makes chess a fair game is that there's only two players. Once there... If you considered racing, I guess, as a one-on-one, then I could say, okay, you know what? Then it's always fair. Because the thing is, what the other... What your opponent has to do a lot of times to screw you up, or if he chooses to take those strategies, 
they often have to do something that compromises their own ability to win, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So in that sense, it's like zero sum. It's fair. But then in once there's a third party involved, right, and even if we're all acting in our own best interest, right, because we're all competing with each other, it becomes unfair because of all those reasons. I so, don't know that I agree. I think a system can exist with more than more than two players. No, it can. But I'm saying when it's in racing, it becomes unfair naturally. And that doesn't mean that there can't be sessions that are fair individually. But the introduction of a third party, of which there's one, but not just usually one, right? Usually there's like six to 12 more, right? Uh, that makes it feel like... That makes it far, far more likely that unfair events will happen, right? And if you combine this with... But I don't know what you... What do you mean by unfair? Well, I just explained it to you, right? It's because when the third... When, when you introduce the third person, if they're... Even if they're not trying to screw you up, which they can, so that's just enough. A third person just trying to screw up your game who isn't really interested in winning is enough to make it unfair because now you have to uh, deal with stuff that the... That the that the other person doesn't have to deal with, right? And that's what makes it unfair. Yeah, but the game isn't between just you and that person. It's between all three of you at that point. Right, but what I'm saying is the third person isn't even acting... Like, they don't even have to act in a fair way to... They don't even have have to act according to their own uh, expected goal of wanting to win. You know what I'm saying? They can just be trolling you. Yeah, but you could do that in a two-player game, too. You can, but what I'm saying is, is that in the two-player game, the act of trolling costs something to the the second player. Yeah, but in a three-player game, the act of trolling costs something to that third player. That's true, also. But what that means is that that creates a situation where, when there's at least three people competing, the first one, the two two. Out of any group of three, two can get locked in some kind of engagement that enables the first one to basically pull away from them. Yeah. Un- and that's the unfair component. I, and, just, I don't necessarily agree that that is unfair. Okay. Well, let's just – just humor just, me for a, a second. Just a factor of the okay? system. That's one example. Okay. I mean we could talk about this for seven hours and I could also enumerate all the other examples. But I just wanted to do Okay. But this, this certainly is not, not specific to Gran Turismo 6. Well, it is not to this this one, but it's becoming really apparent now because I've been thinking a lot about why is this game so jacked? Because other things that happen is that here's the problem is that whenever the only good races I have are online where I feel like I'm racing against because well, I am humans. But when you're racing against computers, they not only do they try to do all of these things in the game to try to make the game more exciting that also makes it unfair and also completely un um, just nonsensical, right? I mean, when you're when you pass, when you're in front, they make the cars behind you. They'll just give them like a hundred extra horsepower, basically, all of a sudden, and they'll come and they'll smash at you, and they will they will pit maneuver you. I've been turned around so many times. They will also they do this crazy thing now, which I think is an attempt to make the game seem more fair but because they're working in a uh, procedural system where they're they can't direct well I mean, I mean you can't assume so much but it doesn't seem like they can directly cause the car the opponent cars to do whatever they want they do this thing where all the opponent cars are like way ahead of you and what they do is when you're on the last lap of the race because they're short races and that's another thing that makes things unfair because you don't have enough distance to pass but that's another. That's an aside. Um, what happens is is that the cars slow down by like ten seconds a lap when you're on the last lap. The cars ahead of you. Maybe sometimes it's like four seconds, but in the worst case, it's about ten seconds, and they're slowing down to let you catch up, and it's completely unnatural. And basically, the end of all of what I'm explaining, the effect is that when you go into a race, even if they have uh, restrictions, right? Because they do. They have, like, you can't have a car over this many PP. It can't be this powerful. Um, the difficulty is essentially random. And this is why the game is garbage. But you're talking about computer opponents. But, well, the, the way that they've designed the computer opponents affects this result. In part. That's why I explained all that computer opponents. Yeah, but when, when you're playing online... So the, so the interesting thing is, right, so online it feels fair even though you know it's not, but let's not get hung up on that. 
because you know that every single person that you're playing is a human being who makes human being types of moves and mistakes and also they have their engines don't become suddenly a million times more powerful I mean they have a little bit of rubber banding if you turn it on but it's not anywhere near what they do when you're playing against the computer opponents and this is extremely frustrating because the one player game is just useless to me because this is what I try to do I try to make a game out of it because I try to be like look I try to pick the car that makes the race a challenging race for me but the problem is is that because they have every single race with different requirements, I have no insight into how should I configure my car to make an interesting, i.e. challenging race that's not too challenging. Because if you make it too challenging, if your car is too low-powered, then there's no way that you can ever hope to win, right? Which is, I think, the reason why they made the computer car slow down so drastically. They, they solved one problem, but they created three others by doing that. And that's why the game, I just feel like it's useless. I'm just, this is what I do, and this is what I think every single person playing this game does, is when they get around near to the end of a race, in the latter, uh, let's say, last lap or something, uh, no matter how good you try to race in terms of racing clean and not racing like a, in, an a-hole, you end up on the last laps things that you would be considered complete no-nos in a race like using the other cars to bounce off of and using them as a wall and pushing them out of your way just so you can win suddenly become very not only very valid but like very good things you want to do because what well, this is what you're thinking of when you're at the end of a race well i could i could tell you but then we'd have a break so i'll tell you after we come back to the break. we'll be right back Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. Okay, we're back. Do you have anything you have to say? Can I just get back into it? Well, I do. I need to mention UAT.edu, the website for the University of Advancing Technology. And I'm, I'm trying to establish in my head what, what you're just talking about now. This is specific to this new version of the game. It's worse. It's, it's, it's specifically worse in this version of the game. So That's basically, you're, so you're talking about rubber banding that exists in the single player. Yeah, so it's, it's rubber banding. Rubber banding is enough to do this, but now they do this in a... They're they're doing more things, and so it's it's worse than it's ever been. Is the problem? Okay, but you're also saying that you're having a you try to make it a challenge. So you're saying basically the game's too easy for you? No, the game. Okay, so this is what I was. Where was I last? Because I want to. I want to lift. Oh, oh, I can't keep track of. Okay, so neither can I. So let me actually let me see if I think I can remember. Look, when you're at the end of a race and there's one lap left, strategies that will work, in other words, will get you to first place. Uh, but th- those strategies are bad etiquette in racing, right? Not just bad etiquette, but you don't do them, right? You don't smash into other cars. Those, even for someone like me who values etiquette in racing, they suddenly come completely valid because what I'm thinking of is, well... If I don't win first place this time, what's going to happen is, since there's like 189 races in the game or whatever, I will have wasted the time that I spent, invested, to get the uh, clear flag or the stars for this race. So I'm going to do the pit maneuver. I'm going to smash into the other car. 
because if I don't do that and I get second, well, then I'm just going to have to race this race again, and I'll just pick a car that's fast enough that I know I can win with anyway. I don't understand what your incentive is for crashing into other cars at this point. If you do that, you gain great advantage. That's one of the unfair aspects of racing online, and that's why it's really hard to find a group of people. What do you mean you gain great advantage? Just because you hit the other guys out of the way? Yeah, because it's you using the other car as a, a, a uh, some kind of um, thing you can bounce off of, you can use to tremendous advantage, not just good advantage. You mean if you get in front of them and then slow down and let them hit you? No. See, here's the here's the thing that happens in racing, right? You have to slow down for a turn, don't you? Oh, so you use them as a wall to stay inside. Yeah, and so if you know where the other car is going and they're in front of you and you know because you see them and you see where they're going – you know they have to slow down to make the turn, and this is a beginner thing that happens all the time, and this is why people drive dirty most of the time. The easiest thing to do is recognize that I can just bounce off that car and keep going. Yeah. So because you have that ability in this game, you can, with a very, very slow car, actually win races you're not supposed to win if you choose to engage in those things. But ultimately the problem comes down to is that the game does not tell you doesn't give you a good indication of what car you should use for what level of challenge that's going to provide. All you get is, okay, you get like this PP rating. Like, okay, this race is is 500. Isn't this game basically developed so that you just always use the best car you can? Yeah, that's what most people do. Yeah, so what makes you think that they would be catering to your weird fantasy of No, they don't cater to the ultra challenge. I don't expect that they should. What What I think would be good in the game, because here's the problem, is that even... For the person who is not good at the game, uh, the restrictions are so light that even someone who's horrible at racing can pick the best car that is allowed to enter that race and easily win. That's the problem. Is that you can almost easily win no matter what, no matter how good you are. You just have to pick the right car. Yeah, but... That that's true for you, but no. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not just true for me. It's true for everybody because that's how. Really, you, you think putting me in that driver's seat, I would yeah. be successful in any of these races? Yeah, yeah. Because if you choose, if you pick the right car, and if you're actually trying, I mean, you, you got to actually try. And but it doesn't take that much effort. It's very very easy to win. The restrictions are so light. I'm not saying that they should make higher restrictions. What I'm saying would be really good to do is for people who are – because people are of a really broad skill levels. What they should do in order to give some courtesy to players of all skill levels is give the player a metric by which they can understand how hard they're making the race by what selection of car and tuning they're entering the race in. They don't do that properly. You have no idea. You, I'll go in and race, and I'll be like, okay, I think this car makes the race hard, right? Um, okay, it'll just turn out that race was impossible for me to win because I made it too hard. Guess what? I just wasted 15 minutes of my life finding out that information. Oh, so it should have restricted the cards that you can use based on what is actually reasonable in that race. Yeah, but even that's not – see, that's what I'm saying. That's not even – that's what they thought they did. They tried to do that. But the problem is that that's not enough. You have to give the player an indication of, look, if I put in, like, if, if I come in here with a 500 PP car versus a six, because maybe the restriction is a 600 PP car, I need to know that I can expect to, you know, what are my chances of winning? They need to basically give me, like, a statistical percentage of saying with this equipment going into this race, here are your chances. And then I know how hard I'm making. Well, that sure sounds like a horrible situation to me. It's, it's horrible. That's, that's what it's, the whole game feels no, like. If they, if they did just, what you just suggested, that would be horrible. Really? Yeah. That would be such okay, a well, messy, like, well, the game's difficult to understand. Why is, that, why is that messy? Because all they need to do is give you one value. All they need to do is give you one number. Okay. You have a 80% chance of getting first. I mean, that does not have to do, it won't that number change. It will change every time. But the problem is is that that number is no, there by the now, user. And it changes every time. It's like, well, if you don't suck, you could you'll have an, you know, whatever, 80% chance. But if you do suck, then you have a much Well, you can't chance. account for player skill. You can only account for the statistics. But they do that now. The problem is is that they don't reveal that play that information to the player. 
So you're basically blindly racing. The only times when it's fair, and this is where the game shines, and I really hate that this is the case, is in the situations where you do not get to pick what car you use. Right? It's the license tests or the missions where they give you the equipment. Then they can tune the whole race properly mm-hmm. by at least well not pro- at least as well as they can under their framework. So, do you think that they built this game in an effort to appeal to a wider audience? Well, they definitely. It's obvious that they're appealing. They're they're trying to broaden the audience by making things easier to get in and out of, and also win too. Yeah, it's much that, easier to win this time. I get. I'm I'm guessing people have criticized the series for being too difficult. It's certainly difficult that, for me. That, yeah, so it's funny because that comes from the license tests. That comes from the fact that the license tests were much harder than they are now. Actually, mm-hmm. they don't. It's not from the whole game. the The, the game is garbage. If you, <laughs> it's completely it's complete garbage right now. If if I if I have no means to predict how hard I'm making the game by choosing what equipment I have, which is, is what it is now. Yeah. I can't wait for them to just put on the shuffle mode online. I hope they'll do that. I hope that they'll put multi-screen back and then I'll have my game back. Okay. All right. So let's, uh, is that enough about a show, half a show's worth of Gran Turismo? Is that enough? Gran Turismo? Yeah. I'm trying to find ways that this appeal, this this conversation applies to more than just Gran Turismo, right? Like it's generic enough. Like, in as games iterate, what do developers do to to make the game better or worse? How often does a game actually get worse as it goes through, you know, in the series? I was actually just I was reading a big article in Kotaku about um, the disappointments of the gaming disappointment disappointments in 2013, and when there was a whole section on sports games and how basically nothing in the sports world was good this year except maybe madden 25 um and even then they said it was nothing they they made a much bigger deal out of it than it is it was just sort of you know slightly iterative but then i I really wonder what sports games fans expectations are in general right because they're used to the yearly release yeah well and how much better can it get it it steps it describes one of the i I don't keep track of which is which, but one of the MLB games, they said that like the the fear in sports games is every year that one of the companies is just going to do a roster update and charge full price for the new game, even if it's the same as last year's. Yeah. And they said that this year they actually did that. Now, I don't I'm sure that's not technically true, but basically their their argument is that essentially the game was just a roster update nothing new um one of the two baseball games that came out this is really and, interesting because i think this is speaking to a trend here that we're noticing with gt6 and what you mentioned and then we have this topic about the battlefield 4 law class action lawsuit where the game wasn't as good where the game was just basically everyone said it was broken right it really seems now when they're releasing games way far more than ever that we're getting shoddy and complete product. Why yeah. do you think that is? Well, when you make it annual, yeah. I think it's a little bit silly to make a game come out well, annually. It's, it seems even worse, though, than it's ever been, and we've had annualized products for a while. I, I mean, GT, Gran Turismo is almost semi-annual, you know. Well, a five, there was a big gap. Not really. We've had six games in, what, 12 years or something? I don't know when the first one came out, but it was not. Yeah, there was like, a big, I was in college. There was a big gap between before five. You're right about that. Yeah, they they definitely rushed six. I don't know why. I wonder if they were working on it for PS3, and then they didn't they didn't realize the PS4 was going to come out. Well, they are they are updating it almost every day, like more multiple times a week now. It's not like I said, it's not a it's not a monolithic release anymore. It's just uh, a continuous service where you get updates very frequently. Okay, they like they like to work that way because they don't have strict deadlines that way. But what I think is actually happening is I think that these are all signs of a couple different things happening. I think that one of them is that the industry is getting is, is overstressed in terms of implementing content on, on time according to their schedules. The second one is um, what I'm more afraid of is maybe there's being a, maybe there's a brain drain here. Let's talk about it when we get back. 
to me, Mario. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. It's a number one. Woohoo! Okay, so we're talking about basically games iterating annually and essentially just not doing a good job anymore like is that is that what it boils down to and battlefield 4 you you mentioned earlier because there's all this discussion like at the at the investor level for the company getting getting mad at ea for how they handled battlefield 4 let's let's uh, let me mention a few details about that so everybody knows so i haven't played battlefield 4 apparently the when it launched it was just so horrendously broken that people said it was horrendously broken. So I, I have a friend who's a big fan. Yeah. And he... I asked him about it and he said, well, it's it's buggy, but it's still a lot of fun. And that's how he versed it. And I hadn't read anything at that time because it was only a couple of days after the system came out. Right. Um, I hadn't read anything about how tremendously buggy it was. But then when I was reading about this, until this article about the disappointments, um, it mentioned Battlefield 4. And brought up just how bad it was. And, I, and I've certainly been seeing articles for the last several weeks about just how certain things are getting patched all the time. And I guess it's really bad with saves being corrupted and dropping and I think this crashing. is a first because not, it was so bad that the class action lawsuit is about it being that bad. It's not about it being that bad. It's about <laughs> um, EA claiming that it was good. Right. In in their phone calls or whatever that you have with investors, right? So they they hyped it up so much, and their stock price went up by a little bit. I mean, it was around the period that's in question. It went up about fifteen percent over the the summer months, and right around that time, also a bunch of execs cashed in about thirteen point two million worth of stock, which doesn't seem that, that much to me. Honestly. I mean, it's a nice chunk. It's, uh, but it's not like uh, astronomical. I mean, well, I guess it depends on what astronomy you're talking about. I guess, but so they're saying that, and, and now of course the stock price went down by uh, it's by I think about around the same amount after they post cashed in all their options or whatever or the stock that they held, and now they're saying that. Um, yeah, they artificially inflated the price knowing that it was a garbage game. I don't think it was actually – I mean they're going to have a tough case to prove, right? Because I was actually looking at the graph and if you look at the graph for EA this year, uh, I mean it's kind of going up. But it totally looks like a thing where if I was an executive and I saw that 15% bump, it's gradual and it's noisy enough that – uh, they could easily just say, "Well, it went up a little bit, and it's it's you know it's close to the thirty to fifty two week maximum. So why not sell now? It's a good time to sell." Yeah, and I, that's I've... and all they need, all they need to prove right is that that's plausible for them to get off. So I think it's it's actually actually I will I'm on EA side on this. I think it's a tenuous argument. Oh, I think it's a horrible argument. the The question for us is really different. It's not so much about the lawsuit as what the lawsuit represents is that. Yeah, Com- so I companies, think, EA in particular, uh, are doing a really good job of releasing crap games. I think what's happening is that for for a multitude of reasons, developers are becoming less and less capable of delivering the volume of work that they want or are held to deliver at the time that they're supposed to. I think that I think that is actually happening. I think it's getting yeah. worse. Well, I think I think the execs are oblivious to it. I don't brought, think they know. We brought up the classic question a couple of weeks ago again about you know once downloadable you know internet connection and everything existed in these platforms, we were worried that games were going to be released you know unfinished and then patched and whatever. Yeah, and it's really doing and, that because con- consider this: before all this stuff happened, you know what we used to do as developers? Test. Well, no, we used to crunch like crazy. To get it out at that date. But now that it's known that the date is soft, here's what happened. The volume of work suddenly went up. The the constricted time schedules did not change. And so 
and then at the same time, there's all of these forces um, that are pressuring the industry to give their employees more leisure time because we're working too hard. But the work's not going down. Nothing's giving except for this soft right, deadline of, well, your product has to come out now, but then you can patch it later. Yeah, I mean, so we're, we're, what the industry is doing, whether we're doing it uh, super consciously or not, is we are pushing the boundary of that deadline of work because that's the only thing that can give right now. Yeah, but the right way to do that is to delay, which is where I give some props to, to Ubisoft for delaying watchdogs, uh, much to, I guess, people's complaints. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree that that's the right thing to do. But, well, I guess if you're in a business situation specifically, sometimes that yeah. decision is Well, I mean, there's, there are the companies out there, like EA especially, who are so used to perennial games. You know, your your sports game's coming out every year. I don't know how often Battlefield is coming out these days, but it sure seems like it's coming out frequently. And they're not doing a good enough job of, of keeping to, like you said, keeping to the timetable, right? So they they should delay. And the fact of the matter is that Christmas, at least in the United States, is such an important factor to sales that you can't move it because moving an entire year is too much. Right. But moving a few months... Right, because it's the difference between making money that year or being in the red that year. Yeah. I mean, just people just buy more games How crazy is that as a concept, though? That we, we are so dependent, the retail sector, on the Christmas season that it can be the difference between a profit or a loss for a year. Well, that's, that's ridiculous, but that's specific to retail. Um, well, I mean, it's not, I guess what I'm arguing is that it's not specific to retails. That, you know, everybody who has a product to sell is, is subject to that. And it's a shame. But I mean, because they're just releasing junk and then patching. And then I, I read a different article today about SimCity, right? One of the guys, I think it was a Destructoid article. Maybe it was a different one. I don't know. Um, talking about how the game came out in March. And looking at the game nine months later, it still isn't fixed. Like the the initial problems of servers and all that stuff is fixed, but the game still they they keep patching it, and with every patch they make more problems while they fix other things. Yeah, and it's just not normal course of. Yeah, it's not ever become the game that it should have been, and uh, I mean it's another EA product, but I think that's more coincidental. Um, they just they've accepted the idea that it's patchable. We can fix it, and it just it never works out that. Way never works out well. I mean, what if you actually produce a good game at launch? When per- when people first see it, their first impression is positive. That's the way to do it right. But because of these timetables and other politics and financial situations, the actual quality of the game gets reduced. And um, that is something that affects not just the whole, I mean, it's the whole industry, but all the consumers, we, I don't know, we, do we have lower expe- expectations now? Like I just, oh, well, They'll patch it soon. I'll buy the game now, and I'll enjoy it a little bit, and then maybe in a month they'll patch that thing, and, and I'll keep playing it. It'll still be good or something. Right. Like, well, whatever your expectations, it's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? You, know, you, can't, you can either buy the product or not buy the product. I think all of this is stemming from the fact that, and I don't think anyone, nobody seems to want to talk about this, the demand is just not enough for the cost of the supply. That's the problem. I think all of these things You mean are, consumers are asking for too much from the developers? Well, I mean, to put it another way, there's not enough people who want to buy the product to make the companies enough money to put in the proper resources to give them a properly finished product. You're just saying development costs are too high. That's another way of saying it, yeah. Yeah, so... But they're too high. I mean, there's a reason why they're too high, right? Because, I, I mean, I guess they feel like... It's just... they're getting Games are getting so complicated now. They're just getting harder and harder and take more and more resources to do the same thing that we used to do. And I guess, yeah, maybe that's... See, the problem is there's like... There's this... There's a perception of what consumers want, and that's what the devs and publishers operate on. But I don't always accept that what are the commonly accepted things that what consumers want are actually truly the things that you need to do. 
but that's what we're operating under anyway. So do you do you remember twenty five years ago? What do I mean? Twenty thirteen now? So like thirty years ago, there was baseball for the NES. Yeah, and there was tennis for the NES. Yeah, and there was. I don't know that there was a strict just football game, but there was like a pinball for the old Atari. I, yeah, there's pinball on NES too. I remember yeah. all those games. So my point there is that it was just generic. There was the baseball game. And it's weird because they never – that particular game sort of – it just sat as the one baseball game. I mean it, then other ones came out, but like Nintendo didn't make baseball 2 and baseball 3. But I kind of feel at this point that there's like army game, right? And it yeah. just keeps getting slightly better. Yeah. There's – what is Army Game? Well, it's the, I don't know, the Medal of Honor game or, yeah, there's or a Modern bunch of Warfare Army or whatever. Yeah, it's just sure. like, this is your Army Game, and this is the one that people play, right? Yeah. And this is the MMO game. This is the one that people are playing. This is the fighting game, the one that people are playing these days, right? And it just it just iterates with, with nothing that is telling me, the consumer, that like there's something special about it anymore. And and maybe that's me being jaded and not actually playing these games to recognize that there's actually something special going on in them. But when I look at the industry as a whole and the way it's running, the way that, it, you know, the development is working, like I just, that's how I feel about it. There's so some parent could come to me and be like, I want a shooting game for my kid. I was like, all right, so you get this particular shooting game. I want yeah. a platform game. Okay, well, you get this game. Well, that's another thing I think that contribute, has contributed to this uh, really unfortunate combination of outcomes here because the one that's the best basically gets all the sales and everyone else suffers and so that also saying that even the best one that gets all the sales isn't making enough money that's a good point because it's battlefield 4 i mean if it's i mean it's not call of duty but it's close you know at least in terms of development uh you know circumstances and and if they're one of the biggest products and they don't have enough money, yeah, that's a problem. I mean, we're guessing that they don't have enough money just because they didn't finish it. But uh, I'm sure they're, they're doing well. This well. is why I mentioned what, what I did right before our break, which is maybe is something is, is happening. This is totally speculatory. That we good, don't... good time for you to bring this up right as we go to break again. Yeah, that's wonderful. Brain drain two times in a row. Yeah, keep, keep that in mind. We'll be right back. Are you going to find a Master of Science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. All right, we're back. Hurry up, do UAT before I forget. <laughs> Just do it. We are sponsored, as always, by the University of Advanced in Technology. Their website is uat.edu. Our website is chatterboxgameshow.com. Our Facebook page is slash chatterbox video game radio. Should have just made a chatterbox game show. It's too late. Anyway, those are all the places you should go to find us. And you should keep using helpchatterbox.com as you continue to buy stuff on the internet for yourself and for friends. Wonderful. Okay, let's think about this for a second. Brain drain. What if this this entire arm of conversation stemming from the presumption that we are we are we find it shocking that the 
some of the most profitable, biggest money-making games, uh, or companies at least, don't have enough money to go around. So let's presume for the moment that that is not the case then because it's such a surprising thing to consider. So if that is not the case, then why could it be that these products are becoming shoddier and shoddier and seeming like they're they're getting less and less of the time they need invested in order to have a complete product. My only conclusion is that if all those things are true, then it must be that either A, we are losing the people who are the best equipped to do those things because of whatever reason, maybe they're getting burned out, maybe they're not getting enough money in the industry, and they're going to other industries, whatever. Or B, maybe it's also, and these are not mutually exclusive, Maybe it's also because the way in which we are deciding collectively, and by collectively I mean by the execs, to make these games uh, is actually incredibly inefficient in terms of resource cost for value of feature or value of the game as a systematic whole. Does that make sense? I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not sure. Because here's the problem that I had in uh, when I was working for Rainbow, and I think it's pretty endemic, is that oftentimes the people who are actually architecting the game aren't the ones deciding exactly uh, what should be in the game. And the problem with that is that the people who decide what should be in the game are not the ones who are best equipped to make that decision because they don't understand uh, all of the trade-offs of how much it's going to actually cost. And I, and I suspect that what may be happening is that because when I worked at Rainbow, we had to do all kinds of idiosyncratic, weird things and work for really long periods of time on developing things that made no sense to do to us, but we, it was in our purview to make that decision. So basically, we'd have to spend a lot of time on some very, very, inex, very, in, very expensive features to develop, things that the game did that we thought that maybe were not the best value for it, but we had to do them anyway. And if this happens enough, this could also lead to this scenario. I am completely not following you now. Okay. What did, well, what did you have to do that example. was so weird? Okay. Yeah, that's what I want. All right. So we're making a game, and let's say it's, uh, let's say it's Battlefield 4. And so I'm just going to – this is completely um, made up. Okay. The exec is like, all right, we got to have um, uh, multiplayer uh, – I don't know, tank to tank radio feature. Okay. And this is just completely hypothetical. Um, so whatever that feature is, feature X that the execs make you make, we're like, Oh, we don't know. It's going to be really hard to do. It doesn't really work within this framework that we've established because we didn't architect it from the start. Um, yeah. I mean, this is going to take like three man months to do, to do this feature. Um, but because it's hard and it's just inexorably difficult to estimate schedules, uh, even if we tell them how long it takes, we're wrong. And we severely underestimate it. And basically what happens is is that uh, the feature that we're, we are forced to make is a feature that costs a lot to develop, takes a lot of time, and the value that the user ultimately gets is not very good with respect to all those things. That's what happens. But the thing is we don't know. The, the, the person who's, who is requiring us to do those things can't see all the way down that road and they're making blind choices and we, even though we're more equipped equipped to make uh, better choices even if we're left to our own devices we may be making a blind choice just because it's so hard but to predict how what how you're saying is is running with the assumption that there is someone ill-equipped to make architectural decisions about the game making them yeah and although that might have happened in your company, that's not necessarily the case in others. I believe this is totally endemic in the industry. That there's always someone who really shouldn't be talking about game design telling you guys what to put in games. Yeah. Because all of the features are decided generally, especially for the AAA games, by marketing, by executives, the people who are least equipped to make the best decisions especially with regards to cost and value. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hear you say that, but I have no way to determine whether or not that's the case. 
Take my word for it. I mean... I don't say this a lot. I'm actually personal friends with, like, the executive producer of Battlefield 4, but... I don't know that I'm going to pose that question to him. Okay, well, like, maybe... are you are you sending shitty ideas down to the dev team? Tell me. Well, like I said, I'm speculating, but I have a very strong sense that this is happening, and I don't know if it's specifically happening in Battlefield Four, but I am confident that if it's not endemic, it's definitely commonplace. It happens all the time. Okay, because think about it: the guy who got all the money is the one ultimately who has final say on what we do and what we don't do. But the guy who got all the money who has that final say is not the person who's most knowledgeable to make that choice, is he? Well, why not? Because he's not the... Unless unless he is the architect of all of your code base for your product and understands the ins and outs, specifically not just of game development and programming in general, but specifically the way that the the code base for your entire product has been architected over the years. Or consider this, right? If there's ever a mass exodus at a company or a big turnover, a huge problem is is that you have this gigantic code base and now you have a bunch of people and the people who made it aren't there anymore. Oh, that's a totally different situation. And that's one that is nearly impossible to manage. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it's a combination of all these things on top of each other. They all contribute, I think. Okay. But yeah, there's there's this is why this is why a lot of stuff happens though. I mean, you can look, you can ask your producer friend or you can even invite him to listen to <laughs> listen to this drivel. But I can it's so hard for me to imagine it not happening all the time. Let's, let me put it that way, based on my personal experiences. Okay. We're always driven yeah, to but, do things that we're recommending that that uh, the the team cl- don't. Clearly, do. there were problems at your company that are bigger than those of the other companies, since yours doesn't exist anymore. <clears throat> well, I can only offer my own experience, can't I? Yeah, but I would argue that that company was making especially bad decisions, or making bad decisions in in unreasonable excess. I think that would be a logical conclusion. <laughs> That one could make after apprising all the evidence. Yes. Yeah. All right. So we've got, what, three minutes? Let's talk about Gamer for three minutes. Let's let's squeeze this into three minutes. <laughs> what do you think of when somebody says the term Gamer? I am super literal. And so I think of person who plays games. Yeah. That's and, my leave, and I leave it at that. That's my tendency too. But there's this stereotype that's developed, right? And I think the stereotype is kind of... Like the you know young suburban like mid twenties male who's completely socially inept and spends most of his time in a dark place, um, uh, repeatedly. You mean this... angry Xbox liver who yells expletives every three seconds? Yeah, I mean you know this like the the stuff white people like white male guy and um, it's a stereotype and yeah and that guy all he does is play games and he's he does not good at anything else really and. He just wastes his time doing largely masturbatory activities. And this is the stereotype. And it's funny because there's a bunch of – a lot of shouting going back and forth on the internet now on blogs about some people saying, no, you should never use this term gamer. Other people are like, no, you should use the term gamer. You say a lot, but I think this pretty much only exists in the Gamasutra crowd of – Well, I'm saying a lot because there's several independent blogs, not just Gamasutra, but several completely independent blogs that are now – like articling at each other back and forth about debating this topic. And I don't know. My opinion is it's – I find it interesting that people project so much into a word because that's really all it means is that somebody who plays games. But people take all all the baggage along with it too. And I don't think that they should actually Um, because that's not necessarily your baggage. Just because somebody has baggage about what a term is doesn't mean that you have to adopt that baggage. Well, I mean I I agree with you there. But the nature of language is that it – it means whatever it is perceived to mean. And so if, if the world decides that gamer has a connotation, then that's what happens. Yeah. The same thing has happened with many other words that have had you know negative connotation over the years. Although I never, until talking to you today and seeing that these articles even exist, I had never given it a second thought. Um, like nerd and, and geek and whatever, they, they have connotations, but just gamer is... I mean, they might also carry a little bit of baggage too, but it's just someone who plays games. I never thought there was such negativity associated with it. Right. I'm of the I'm of the opinion that 
just because there is some baggage with the word doesn't mean that baggage has to go along for the ride every time. And it, you can compl- you're completely free to use the word gamer without any meaning or intent beyond just simply somebody who plays games. Yeah. So for the listeners who don't know what we're talking about, and this is, we're, we're coming right up on the end of the show, there are a bunch of people who are saying the word gamer carries all this negative stereotype with it, not, not just for someone being a loser sitting in a basement, but also someone who is um, like condescending and misogynistic yeah, and here's rude. A good quote. And, they think that they're saying that it perpetuates a homogeneous and exclusionary video game culture. Yeah. But and the type of people who complain to that Zoe chick that she should keep baking cookies or something yeah. and not make games. But that's only true if you accept all the baggage, which you don't have to. And by the way, yeah, that whole Zoe thing, uh, I think it's really important for us as a culture in general, and I mean human beings, to not give any credit or attention to things posted on 4chan. Yeah, that actually would keep us above board, I think. Because you shouldn't be dignifying those things with a response, because they don't deserve it. Maybe we'll and, see how that whole situation plays out and talk about it on our next episode. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Because we've, we've clearly run out of time in this one, but yeah. Next time. All right. Well, we will be back uh, for you listeners in a week. For us, it'll be about two weeks. So in the meantime, enjoy your Christmas presents and whatever other presents you get, and uh, let us know how they turn out. Good afternoon, guys. been listening to chatterbox video game radio tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming and remember all your base are belong to us